0: Is from 2nd Philippians verses 1 through 11. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who
1: Well, Sandy and I watched the uh, season finale of Downton Abbey last night. And uh, I have a theological picture for you. If you could go ahead and put that up there. Uh, There we go. Um, St. Lady Crawley. Uh, I don't think I'm spoiling the ending because the ending is the same every year. Um, (laughs) uh, The the final show takes place on uh, Christmas Eve 1924. And I always love the final show of Downton Abbey because it's always about reconciliation. And uh, this year is no exception. Uh, Mr. Bates returns home from exile in Scotland. Lord and Lady Crawley forgive one another. Lady Edith and her dad are reconciled. And Mr. Carson finally, finally asks Mrs. Hughes to marry him. We were gunning for We were cheering in our, in our living room. Well, we, we like to watch the, uh, the, 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 the edits. And so we looked at um, the director's cut, and the director said, they asked her, why do you end every year like this? <laughs> and he said, uh, it's what people want. It's what we all want. We want to be reconciled. We want everyone we love gathered around the Christmas tree, singing joyfully together, old wounds forgiven, old promises kept. Uh, And I think that, for most of us, is our most cherished memory when we have those kind of connections with people that we love. I think it's also our deepest wound, uh, those relationships with people that we care about, that are estranged or, or broken. Now, the church in Philippi needed a Downton Abbey Christmas special. It is a healthy church. It's a church a lot like ours in many ways. It's a church that's very loved by Paul, but they have some relational tension going on at least between a couple of ladies, Yodia uh, and Sintiki and probably a lot of other places as well. And in what has become one of the most cherished passages uh, in the whole Bible, Paul gives instruction about how we're to resolve relational conflicts. And so we're going to look at that tonight, and maybe you could help yourself by just taking a moment, and rather than thinking about unity, which is a great big word, just think about one relationship in your life where you need healing, where something's stuck or out of joint or estranged. Just just one. Can't work on all of them at one night. Uh, just one relationship in your life where you need some relational healing for God to bring unity. Well, Paul is going to instruct us about how we should approach those relationships. And he begins by reminding the Philippians, reminding us of the resources that we have in Christ to handle these relational problems. If or since, in the Greek it can mean, since there is encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, participation in the Spirit, affection and sympathy, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, the same love, full accord and in one mind. He's saying, look, you all have all these resources because of your relationship with Christ. And and if you can claim those resources and live out of those resources, you, you actually do have the power to reconcile relationship and pursue unity. I'm reading another novel right now by a famous author who's celebrated for his insights into the 21st century American condition. And if there's one singular insight I think I'm getting from his book, which I don't like very much, is that 21st century Americans are terrible at relationships. That we have no capacity to sustain them. And for this author, uh, within 100 pages, everybody has blown up their relationship. And they, they have no capacity for healing them. Well, Paul is saying, hey, we actually do have resources to heal these cherished relationships. We, we know what it means to be loved by God and encouraged by God. We know what it means to share in the, in the spirit together. We know what it means to feel God's affection so we can have affection for others. I thought of this 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 week, Thursday and Friday, uh, David Geich and uh, Linda Hamilton and I attended a conference hosted by an organization called the Colossians Forum, and the Colossians Forum was formed five years ago to help churches talk about difficult issues in a way that deepens community and encourages spiritual growth. And the, the root of, of the forum is Colossians 1.17. All things hold together in Christ. And what this ministry says is that Christians ought to be able to talk about the hardest things, whether they're social issues, doctrinal issues, issues in your family, issues of betrayal, issues of uh, unfaithfulness. We ought to be able to talk about these things as a family because all things hold together in Christ. So they identified that Christians aren't really great at that. Is that kind of a fair assessment? And so uh, what they started out doing was they uh, were hosting these these worship seminars where they'd pick a very difficult topic and they'd bring in a, a theologian who'd cover one side, a theologian who'd cover the other side, then they'd worship together. And it was great. It was the first time people had ever done anything like that. But then they realized, you know, most local churches can't go hire the two smartest theologians in the country to come in and do that. Maybe we ought to help a local church figure out how to do that. And so so they said, we're going to start a pilot project where we're going to train local churches in how to have difficult conversations, to work on difficult subjects in a way that leads to unity and truth. And they heard about us. They heard about uh, some of the things that we're trying to do, about disagreeing well together. And so uh gave me a call and invited us to be one of their uh, pilot projects. And so we were up there for the training in Grand Rapids, um, which they paid for the, our two trainers to go up. They're so interested in investing us this way. And Michael Dolker, who's the director of the forum, asked a question in the training that, that I've really been thinking about. And if we can go ahead and put that up. Um, the question is, are we the kind of people who can have this conversation? I thought, man, that is a great question. Yeah, the conversation's important. It's important that we dig into it and and look at both sides of it. But are are we the kind of people that have the capacity to actually have the conversation? Do we have uh, this experience of being in Christ? Do we have the character formed in us? where we can be patient and kind and forgiving and humble. So I think that's where Paul is, is starting, not with conflict management techniques, but he's saying, hey, this is the good news. You have all these resources in Christ. You have everything you need to be able to work through relational conflict. Put it on. Well, then he identifies several reasons why relationships break down. Two of them, specifically, he says, "Don't do anything from rivalry or conceit." And I think this is true uh, not just in churches. This is true in marriages. This is true in families. This is true on sports teams. This is true on dance companies. This is true in you know wherever you go. This is what happens with with human beings. Paul says. Uh, the, the first breakdown is from rivalry. It means party spirit. The root word in the Greek refers to laborers hired for a certain project, and, and it came to this idea that in any community there's this in any community there's this uh, power at work that causes people to break up into factions, to kind of get hired into different groups. And social psychologists talk about it all the time. There's fascinating studies on this. You know that this is true. It's just simply easier for me to be with people who are like me. It takes less cognitive work. And the other thing that happens once I come to be with people who are like me is one of the ways my group forms identity is by identifying the groups that I'm not like. Right? We've all experienced that. So Paul says, this is going on in our churches, and it's creating factions. It's creating parties. It's creating broken fault lines in the body of Christ. What's beneath that, you think? And you know, it's so, we're not necessarily talking about Russia and Ukraine. We're talking about moms who nurse and moms who don't. Right? I mean, we're talking about people who put their elderly parent into the nursing home and people that don't. We're talking about that kind of stuff. That's what churches uh, break down from. What's, what's beneath that? Maybe it's fear. Do you, do you struggle with fear in relationships like I do? Half the time when I come to communion and confess, I'm confessing some fear. And it usually has to do with relationship. Why do, we, why, why do we have this terror of relationship? That fear leads to, well, at least if I can get people around me that are like me, and we're all agreed that we're not like them, I've got some security. Well, then Paul talks about conceit, uh, pride, uh, uh, looking out for our own interests, being primarily selfish in the way that we approach our relationships, uh, living out of our own ego. One writer I looked at described relationships based on self like this. For the ego or the self, all relationships are ultimately recreational. They exist to accessorize the ego, to add fun, gratification, entertainment. Pleasure, comfort, convenience, utility to a person's life to provide escape. For the ego, an intimate relationship is a place where we go to get, to have our needs met and anticipated, to be understood, to be filled and little more. See what he's saying there? He's talking about going into our relationships as consumers. And he says that destroys community. Here's... Here's the hard part about this. We don't know we're doing it. It's often very hard to detect the movement of your own soul in a relationship. I was talking with someone once about uh, a very codependent relationship that they'd been in for a long time. and They were just beating themselves up. How could I not see this? How could they not see this? They couldn't see it because it all looked like love. They thought they were loving the person. The other person thought they were loving them. But but later when the Lord opened their eyes, and it happened out of a lot of pain when all the dysfunction blew up, they realized we're both in this relationship out of selfishness. I read a book once on marriage that I use sometimes in marriage counseling or premarital called the Uncon- or the conscious marriage and uh, the idea was that everybody goes into marriage with unconscious needs unconscious expectations desires that come from childhood Uh, A guy gets married, wants the wife to finish the job his mother started. The wife goes into marriage, wants the husband to finish the job the dad started. There's all these gurgling, primal needs that go into the marriage. And then we wonder five years later why we're arguing about socks (laughs) and why we want to kill the guy over a sock. And we realize it has nothing to do with a sock. It has everything to do with our dad, but we didn't realize it. This is messy stuff. We come into relationships with a lot of self and a lot of fear. A lot of fear. Well, what does it look like to relate out of love and not fear to your father that abused you? What does it look like to, to relate out of love and not fear to a boss that could fire you? Paul basically spends the rest of the passage on this. He says, In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Look out for the interests of others. Essentially saying is, you know, when you get into a relationship, whether you're joining a church, you're going to, to work on a law firm, whether you're getting married, whether you're living in community with fellow singles, don't primarily go in to meet your own needs. Look out for the needs of others. Make your posture meeting the needs of others. Well, but, but how can I do that? I have needs. I am lonely. I am tired. I am afraid. I do have needs. How can I possibly move towards a person who's hurt me when they won't meet my need? Well, I I think the good news is your needs are met in Jesus Christ. And I'm I'm not just saying that. I know that sounds like things preachers are supposed to say. This is something my wife has had to learn in being married to me. It's something I have had to learn in being married to her. that I cannot demand that she meets my deepest needs as a man. She's not capable of doing it. She does a wonderful job, but she can't meet them all. If you go into any relationship primarily driven by your own needs, it will fail. It will fail. It will burn itself up. But if somehow, in a faulting way, like like we're all trying to do, if somehow we can grasp this idea that I am loved in Christ, I am forgiven in Christ, I have the affection of Christ, somehow I can go back into that painful place and love. Now Paul is going to use the most wonderful example of all in the rest of the passage to, to describe what this looks like, he uses the example of Jesus. He says, have this mind or this attitude. Uh, Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he was in the, uh, the essence of God, he had all the characteristics and qualities of God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped at. Uh, he didn't cling to his rights as God. He didn't say, sit there around the table with the Trinity and say, now doggone it, I deserve more respect than this. He he didn't cling. The Greek literally means snatch at. He didn't just kind of hold on to those those rights. And you know, I was thinking about that today. We all have this unspoken bill of rights we take into our relationships. I mean, we don't put it on our wall, but it's somehow tattooed on the inside of our heart. I have a right to be understood. I have a right to be respected. I have a right to run away if you hurt me. I have a right to not be hurt. I have a right to get what I want. Jesus gives up his rights. instead of demanding them, Jesus made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Uh, Literally, he emptied himself, he poured himself out. He, He emptied himself of all the privileges of deity and poured himself into a human body. I mean, it's the ultimate picture of empathy. It's the ultimate picture of identifying with someone you're trying to be reconciled with. He poured himself into the life of the other person so that he could relate to the world through what it meant to be a human being. What an idea. I think this is so important in in solving conflict. And I am so bad at it. It's one of the occupational hazards of preaching is you're always pointing to a standard that you know you don't keep yourself. Pray for me. I want to do this better. One of the most important things that you can do when you have a relationship that's struggling is pour yourself into the other person and see the world through their eyes. tell you, I really learned a lot about this this year. We had such a gift given to us. And I know I keep talking about this, but Lisa Murray and one of her colleagues, a dear member of our church who's on the faculty at UT, did some workshops for us at the shepherding team and at the staff. And it was just so fun. Some of the most life-giving moments I've ever had in community. And we would be doing, you know, normal good conversation and I think one day at staff, we were banging around about something, and, and she introduced this idea of popcorn conversation. And essentially what we were doing is I'd talk, and jesse talk, and Jill'd talk, and somebody'd talk, and we'd just kind of all popcorn, popcorn, popcorn. But there wasn't real engagement with what the other person was saying. And then something might come up in the conversation that's kind of and somebody might have a little heat to it, and rather than another popcorn response, what, what, uh, what Lisa would introduce us to is, okay, now pour yourself out into their life. What do they love that makes them so mad right now? Do you know that all anger is related to love? All anger is related to love. You know that person who's so mad at you right now? that It's about love. She'd say, what, what, what are you afraid of? What do you dream about? And I'm telling you, I've just, I've just never seen relationships kind of unfold like that. And, and uh, it, it was so powerful that the shepherding team has asked her and her colleague to uh, provide a, a retreat in another small group uh, for you this winter so that you can kind of walk into some of this Philippians 2 style of relating. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. There is something about relating this way that smells like death. I think it's why I do it so poorly. I don't want to die. If we go into these places, and we don't have to, right? You can manage your whole life and protect yourself from pain. Maybe you read that sad, sad story of the lonely death of George Bell last week in the New York Times. This uh, 73-year-old man died, and nobody knew it for weeks. And when they finally found him, you can imagine why they knew he was in there, they found a man that has simply had cut himself off from the world for years and they could not even find someone to give his estate to no one knew that he died so you can do that you can get hurt you can write it off you can self protect you can shut it down you can do that it'll be safer you won't weep as much your heart'll freeze you'll die alone you can do it. I'm thinking of someone I know who, who I love deeply, who in some ways chose to live his life that way, and now he's near the end, and it's just so painful. Well, if you go the other way, though, there's this cross thing. poof. And you know, at this point I don't know how to clean this up because in my experience it doesn't always work. I mean it works, but it doesn't always work. Do you know what I mean? When you when you really start to try this reconciliation stuff, there's a cross in there. You're gonna you're gonna die. It's not fun. Therefore, God highly exalted and bestowed it in him the name that's above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The glory of God, the Father. That's the good news. But what does the good news mean? I went to a conflict resolution conference once, and the, the main theme, it was a great conference. It was at Harvard. Name drop, huh? It's close. closest I'll ever get to Harvard. So I went to Harvard Law School for a week, one summer. And... <laughs> I uh, got in my little tote bag and and all that stuff, and it was great. It was great. Uh, but the basic idea was, if you do these things, you'll get what you want. They'll get what they want, and everything will be okay. Is that what Paul's saying here? I I can't imagine that's what Paul's saying. That's no. That's not the cross, right? But there are rewards of of just going head-on into, into conflict and going head-on towards the cross and not living out of safety, not making your greatest goal in life never being hurt. That was George Bill's uh, greatest goal in life. I'm never going to be hurt. So you, you lie rotting in a pile of junk for a month before somebody finds your body. That's where that goes. It's not what you want, is it? It's not what I want. There's some risk-taking that needs to happen here. One reward, there's a depth of relationship you can get to if you go through the narrow way of the cross that is unlike anything you can taste anywhere else. I know it's rare on this side. I know it's hard. I know most of us don't get there. But the few times I've tasted it, it's worth it. That's the reward. So don't give up. If you're here tonight and you're wondering about giving up on a relationship, beloved, don't give up on it. If you feel like you can't sit on that cross any longer, just wait a little longer. There is something so precious, so beautiful on the other side. If you can hold on, if you can hold on, don't give up. As I was driving in tonight, I... My mind was kind of tired, and so I, I listened to ESPN, um, catch up on the games, and I don't know why. It's stupid, but I do. And so I, I was doing that, and one of the sportscasters had died. He died of a real quick cancer. He was the coach of the Minnesota Timberwolves, and and so they were they were doing a eulogy, a piece on him, and it was about five minutes long, and it was. He won 100 games here, and he won 40 games here, and he won 30 games here, and he was a great point guard coach, and and that was about it. And I thought, I wonder if that is what he wanted to be known for. Is that what you want to be known for? Wouldn't you rather be known as the man who wouldn't quit on relationships? Wouldn't you rather be known as the forgiver? Wouldn't you rather be known as the peacemaker? I hope at my funeral they don't just Mention all the sermons I gave. (laughs) Here's Doug. Preach a thousand times. (laughs) What a life. No, we all want more than that. Let's pray.